All right, I want to welcome everybody that's watching us, wherever you're at. If you're here in the community somewhere or in this state or somewhere around the United States or somewhere around the globe, we welcome you with us tonight. Uh, and if you're going to get this podcast this week, we appreciate all of you all that are tuning in and standing with us for God's Word and His truth. We're going to pick back up in 2 Timothy tonight. We had a few verses in uh, chapter 2. We're just going to go back to the first verse in chapter 2 and pick back up from there. So let's pray and uh, we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your love. We do need some rain, Lord, so we just ask that you would uh, give us some rain. Uh, have mercy on this area, Lord. We thank you for all you do for us. We don't want to take anything for granted. May we be simple-minded people. May we thank you for everything. Transportation, shelter, shoes, clothing, food. Don't let us take anything for granted, Lord, because everything that's here today could be gone tomorrow. We've seen that happen in the history of the world, even our own country, Lord. And we just thank you for all your blessings. We know that you're enough. You're more than enough. And so we ask that we would keep our, you would help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to get stronger as we study your word, to be soldiers that can endure in these last days. Help us to stand for the truth no matter what, because heaven and earth would pass away, but your word will stand forever. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul's given some good instruction here for all of us. He's specifically instructing Timothy a lot here, but we all need to take this in and try and digest it because we're living in troubled times and we, uh, the culture may have some reprieves from occasionally, but we're, our course is trajected toward the end of the age. So in chapter 2, we read a few of these verses. Let's just go back to verse 1. He says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now that's a word to all of us. I think that is a word to people who uh, God calls into full-time ministry, but it's also a word to all of us. Uh, you're going to have to endure hardship and we're not all going down the same we're not all faced with the same circumstances sometimes people's hardship comes in the natural sometimes it comes in the spiritual sometimes it comes in varied ways but you got to remember God working on eternal creatures the Bible says the trine of our faith is more precious than the gold we have if we have any <laughs> but it's more precious than gold the trine of our faith so God's working on eternal creatures, and He's bringing us into uh, taking us from glory to glory so that we can be seated in heavenly places. And so God loves us. He's on our side if we follow Him, if we're His children. But uh, sometimes we're not ready to step into things that He's wanting us to step into because we've not allowed Him to train us properly. We resist that. That's the nature of the flesh. Sometimes we do what Paul did. We kick against the pricks. God's trying to do something in our lives, trying to bring us to a greater revelation of Him, trying to subdue us more so there's less of us and more of Him, which is what John said when John was preaching. 
they came and said, you know, they were actually trying to stir him up. They said, you know, some of your guys are leaving and following Jesus. And John's response was, I must decrease and he must increase. Now, that's a word to all of us. I mean, that, that was a, certainly a prophetic utterance there that uh, we would, that John was going to fade away and Jesus was going to come to the forefront. But in, the, in this particular sense, we should all feel that way. Really, the world doesn't need to see you and me. They need to see Jesus. We don't, we don't have the power and the kind of influence that the Holy Spirit has. So when Jesus is shining through us, when the Holy Spirit is working through us, that's what's impactful. Uh, if my children could testify, they would probably, they could tell a difference when Dad was talking and when the Holy Spirit was talking through Dad. I mean, we can all sense the difference, right? You can tell when somebody's been called of God and has authority and some that don't. So there, we all going to have to endure hardship. We must endure hardship as a good soldier. So we're compared to soldiers. God is a man of war. There is war to be done. The war is spiritual warfare. Paul said we don't fight flesh and blood, but things in the air. And so principality, spiritual forces, we understand that collision, that class. First, that which is natural. We saw some of that in the Old Testament, right? the natural clashes. But in the New Testament, we understand the biggest battle is the spiritual battle. And we saw a little bit of that in the Old Testament too. If you study your Old Testament, Daniel, Daniel illustrates how there are principalities clashing over things. When Daniel's praying, guess what? Demonic forces are trying to push him back and trying to interfere with his prayer line to God. And so Gabriel said, I was coming. And then, I, then we called on Michael to come because Michael's really the warrior uh, out of the three archangels with Lucifer who was cast down because he got pride in him. And then you have Michael, and then you have Gabriel. Gabriel's like the messenger, like we were talking about Sunday morning. Michael's a warrior. So Michael comes over and cleans the mess up. I'd say he's one bad dude in a good way. He's one good bad dude. One good bad heavenly being, I should say it that way. No disrespect. So there's a war going on, so we're considered to be soldiers. We do our battle with our praise, our worship, with our prayer times, with the Holy Spirit using us and praying through us. That's how we do battle in the New Testament. That's how we overcome. And so we need to be people of prayer. And I'm going to challenge you here a couple of things. If you go to pray and you're going to give God some time how dare you get up from there and answer a phone how dare you do that how dare any of us leave the king of kings to go talk to a human that's the first thing I want you to nail that down if you're going to get serious about praying turn your phone off and give God's if you got a phone call that's that important you wait and take it and then go pray but how dare any of us, I'm not just talking to preachers, how dare any of us get up from a place with the most holy God who controls the whole universe and say, hold on. We shouldn't be doing God that way. We shouldn't be letting things interfere. We should have some undivided, uninterrupted time with God every day. You know why? 
Number one, he deserves it. Number two, he's earned it, if there is such a thing. And number three, everything we have, the Bible says, has come from him. And he deserves our respect, and he deserves a little bit of time with each one of us every day. And so we shouldn't allow anything to interfere with that. He is our God. He's everything. Everything, you know, everything, our children, whatever you have, the Bible says every good and perfect gift has come down from the Father of lights. So we should honor Him. That's where I think the modern church has got away from. We've tried to pattern, not necessarily we, but a lot of the churches try to pattern itself like the world to attract the world. And then they've done some surveys, and guess what the last two or three generations said? They said, we don't want our church to be a gymnasium. We don't want it to, we want the church to be different. If we wanted the same thing we're getting in the world, we wouldn't come to the church. We misread that somehow. We misread that. Because there is some sacrifice. We are called to be different. We are called to live holy lives. We are called to obey. If we don't obey, we don't have any good ground to stand on. We're called to obey. Being a Christian means that I obey what the Bible and what Jesus said, what he teaches. It doesn't mean I get to pick and choose what I like. But that's how we've raised the last few generations. And probably some of them in my own generations where God was just out there if you had time for him or if you got in a real spot and you needed to call upon him. But God wants relationship with us. Jesus is called our husband. Tell your spouse, go over there and sit down and I'll get with you when I can. See how that works out. <laughs> Don't do that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you... God, the, the Lord is our spouse. He, he loves us so much that He gave His life for us. And so we should give God some undivided time where nothing's interfering with it. And then that's how we do warfare. We go, and then look at the next line. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the, with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. My number one desire, and all of our number one, should be to please God. That should be our number one goal. Saul missed that, right? God gave him specific orders about what to do when he went to the Amorites. He got over there, and Samuel is, shows up, and Samuel says, Hey, did you do what the Lord asked you? And, and Saul said, Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Samuel heard, Bah! And Samuel said, well, what am I hearing if you've done what God said? And he, then Saul, this is where I believe politics started. Saul said, well, it's the people. They wanted the stuff, so I gave some of them. So at that moment, what Saul was saying, like not all, but many politicians, what Saul was saying was, I care more about what the people want than what you want. And I don't just want to blame that on politicians because that happens in our individual lives, right? We care more about what we want than what God wants. And you know, he's a perfect God. And I, I, I need to dig this word back because I keep referring to it and I forgot which word it was. But there's a Hebrew word that says God's already been around the corner before you get there. So God knows everything. If he's leading us down a path, if he's trying to direct us and do things in our lives, it's for our good. God, God is working on our behalf. And so here he said, if you, if you stay engaged, right, 
with the war, if you understand, you've got to get up every day and realize Satan hates you. He hates godly people. He hates homes that are trying to serve the Lord and follow. He hates us. Now, he's good at what he does. The Bible said he can appear as an angel of light. And he'll give you some good things. You know, he's like a homeowner that sets a mousetrap. Right? You, you, we're, all, we're all deceivers when we set mousetraps. Because that little mouse comes out and he thinks, Man, I'm at the jackpot. These people love me so good in this house, they've stuck free cheese out for me. Or peanut butter. Not knowing what. He's getting ready to get his neck broke. Right? Boy, it's familiar, isn't it? It's how the devil works, right? Puts a little cheese on the trap. Puts a little peanut butter. And then all of a sudden, snap. So, what happened? The greatest example, and I think I brought this out last week, is King David, right? He should have been at war with his men. But he wasn't engaged in the war that Israel was in. He stayed home. Got out on his balcony, saw another man's wife, took her. And you know the rest of that story. He tried to get when when he came home, he tried to get him to go and be with his wife so that he could blame the pregnancy on her. You remember the story. And then finally he won't do that because he's so loyal to the king. And so David has him sent to the front lines to be so he'll die, basically. And basically David was responsible for him dying. Now when you read Romans, it says all things work together for good, right? For those who are called... We know David was God's man. We know he's a man after God's own heart. But he was also... He did some wrong things. He sinned. But in the Greek, it says God enters into all things to work them for good. God's not responsible for our messes. But he's such a good God and such a wonderful God that he'll enter in to our messes and bring good out of it. And we see that with David. I mean, David was... God brought Solomon out of all that stuff. and You know, they lost the first child and you, one thing after another. But God entered into David because David was repentant when God confronted him with Nathan. And evidently David had such respect for the prophet that he named one of his own sons the same. And so David did repent and God ministered to him and brought good out of a bad situation. So we cannot blame our messes on God. But we have such a wonderful God that when we cry out to Him, He will enter into our situations and bring good out of it. That's how the Greek says that in Romans. So David is beautiful, not a beautiful, but he's a picture of what we're reading here. He says that he may said he stays engaged so he don't entangle himself with the affairs of this life. You got to realize, you should realize this wherever you're at, that you you do not come disengaged from the battle because if you do, you'll get tangled up in other things. And he said, and also, if anyone competes in athletics, let me back up. He said, he will not entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And I, I can't get away from this, and that's why I'm reiterating this. Let's go to Luke chapter 21. I know we talked about some of this last week, but I want to get this in us. And the Holy Spirit is, uh, I think, trying to shh, make sure we understand what's going on here. In Luke chapter 21, verse 34... Listen to what Jesus says at the end of talking about the end of time and the tribulation period. Luke 21 is the same thing as Mark 13 Matthew 24. It gives a synopsis of the end of the time, just a short synopsis. 
All that stuff gets expounded on by some of the other people that the Holy Spirit uses to write the New Testament and the Old Testament. But Jesus gives a quick synopsis of how it's going to be during the end of time and during the tribulation period. And in verse 34, he gives us a warning. He gives us a cautionary statement. He says, But take heed to yourselves, in verse 34 of 21, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. So he's challenging his followers. He's saying, be careful that you don't get caught up with the partying of the world, with the addictions or the drunkenness of the world, which would, could reference, you can get drunk a million ways with pills or whatever nowadays. And he says, and the cares of this life. That's the one that we've got to guard against. Because we can get, all can get cumbered about with the wrong things. And he says, for it will come on a snare, speaking of the Lord's return, on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore, and do what? Pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So he, he, that's the only time we hear Jesus alluding to the rapture. He doesn't expound on it. Actually, Paul expounds on it because Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery in Corinthians, right? We shall not all sleep, right? We're all, some of us will be caught up. The Lord himself will descend. We'll meet him in the air. Paul expounds on that because the, the rapture is primarily going to be made up of Gentiles. And Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, right? So the Jews are blinded. And they're blinded for our sakes to some degree, the Bible says. Then because of their unbelief and their sin, it's all worked together. The Jews are going to be, come home. They're already getting there physically. But spiritually, they're going to come home during the tribulation period. They're going to realize when the Antichrist goes in to the temple that's been rebuilt and declares himself to be God, the Jews, their eyes are going to be open. They're going to realize he's not their Messiah, that they missed their Messiah, and they're going to flee to Petra and places like that. So Paul, the reason he unfolded the mystery was because us Gentiles are the ones that are primarily going up in the rapture. Now, now there are, I've got Jewish friends that are messianic, they, and I've got Jewish friends that are orthodox. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. But the ones that believe that he's the Messiah, they're going up too. Somebody like Jonathan Kahn, most everybody's familiar with that name. He's a household name now. He's a, he's a Jew, but he's a messianic Jew. He understands that Jesus is the Messiah. So, and, and, and here's what happens. And this is, there's a couple of beautiful pictures in the Old Testament to illustrate this. When Jacob got ready to be married, his first choice was Rachel. It's exactly how this works out. God's first reaching out was to the, the seed of Abraham, which we call the Jews, right? And the Bible says he adorned them with the things of God. He, 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 and they were beautified because they were given all the ways and all the word of God. Most of your, 97 percent of your Bible is written by Jews. They were given everything by God, and they turned their back on it. So when Jacob woke up the next I can't even imagine this. He wakes up, and it's Leah. He didn't get Rachel. And the Bible says she was tender-eyed. That meant she wasn't near as pretty as Rachel. He got the less pretty one. I'll just say it that way. First, then what did he do? He worked seven more years to get Rachel. It's exactly what's going to happen. God's going to get the tender-eyed ones first. That's us Gentiles. Because we weren't adorned with the things of God like they were. We weren't beautified. And so now, of course, we have been with the Lord and the Holy Spirit. But the Gentiles, we were the tender wives. If you notice, Jesus will reference the Gentiles sometimes. He'll say, don't be like the Gentiles, right? 
they like to lord over each other and they like material things and all. He's telling his followers, don't get caught up into that. And so we're, we're, those of us that have believed in Jesus Christ, we're going to go first, and then what's God going to do? He's going to work seven more years, what we call Jacob's trouble, or what Daniel calls Jacob's trouble, what we call the tribulation period, and he's going to bring Rachel back in. He's going to bring the Jews back home. They're going to realize that Jesus is the Messiah. So then he says in verse, I'm back to 2 Timothy, he says, uh, and also anyone who competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must be first partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and, you, uh, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. So he's encouraging Timothy to be the example, to be a strong soldier, to stay engaged, and to find other people that can be soldiers. And he says, Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Now, if you're really going to stand with Christ, you're going to make some enemies. Tell your neighbors, say, if you're going to really stand for the truth, you're going to make some enemies. Sometimes they'll be in your own household. Right? Sometimes they'll be people that you grew up with. Sometimes it may be somebody at the workplace. Sometimes it may be someone in, in, uh, in the community. You're going to, because that's the dividing line. The dividing line is the gospel. <clears throat> following Jesus Christ, doing things His way. He said, I'm suffering as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. This is what Paul's saying. But the Word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Now that's why, and this is what I tell people, when they feel like giving up, when they feel like whatever, if it's a family, if it's church, if it's whatever, that, they, that God's really set in front of them and they feel like giving up, I say, you've got to think about the other things that are at stake. There's nothing in the Bible that says we're going to have happy days every day. In fact, the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver him out of them all. So we're going to have some afflictions. We're going to have some bad days. We're going to have some days where things don't go our way. But we've got to remember there's people coming behind us. It just hit me the other day. There's not really any heroes except for Jesus. The rest of us are all just playing our part in history. And you know what? Moses is not any greater than any of us because all he did was obey what God had told him to do. You're just as famous as Moses in heaven if you and I will do what God told us to do. You don't have to be Billy Graham because Billy Graham was Billy Graham. You don't have to be Moses because Moses was Moses. And guess what? The world don't need two of you know how. Or me. They don't need two of us. God set you up to be who you are. He gave you all, all of us have a circle of influence where we can share the gospel with people and love them and tell them the truth. Every one of us have a circle of influence. There, if we just sit down together, there are people, even though this is my mantle to stand up here and do what I do, there are people that some of you all can reach that I can never, I don't even know, I can't reach them. And the same is true of all of us. There, you all have a circle of influence that no one else has. All of us do. So God's just asking us to share Him and to live for Him and to live in front of Him. 
the way we're supposed to do. That's what people do mostly. Even Billy Graham said this back in his institution. They did some studies. They took a lot of polls and studies on his crusades. And they found out that over 90% of people who came to Christ did not come to Christ in those crusades. Less than 10% of them come to Christ in those crusades. Doesn't make the crusades wrong. Doesn't make them bad. Those other 9 or 10% needed to be reaped, right? But what they found out was over 90% of the people came to Christ because they watched somebody, saw how they were living, saw how God was treating them in their life, whether it was at the office, on the job, in the community, by a ball field, at a ball, when everybody's cussing the ump out but you, and everybody's saying, well, why don't he do it? Right? I mean, we've got a higher standard to live by. The word holy, in some instances in the New Testament, means to live a cut above. So we're not talking about perfection. None of us can be perfection. But to live a cut above, live different. And let your light shine because of what Jesus is doing inside of us. We all have a sphere of influence. I'll tell you a story that about broke me to the ground when this preacher was telling us about it. He said their church was in a, on, the, on the, the dividing line of the slums. Hard living, poor living, a lot of crime. And he said one day... One of the little boys who was like 10 years old came to the church and gave his heart to Christ. He talked with the lisp. He couldn't talk plain. And he started going to church there. True story. So they were going to have some meetings, revival meetings, and so he brought his little 8-year-old brother to one of those meetings. And... His little brother got saved. Just those two. And the last night of the meeting, they were letting people say, share what God had done in the meeting. And this young boy, who was real talkative, had his hand up, and the preacher was actually, he said, I was trying to outlast him. Because I didn't know what he'd say if he got up there. He said, said, I looked back there, and he'd propped his hand up like that. And he said, I said, okay, son, what do you have to say? And said, when he walked up there, he said he had work boots on that were like four sizes too big for him. Old polyester paints that didn't fit. All his clothes were dirty, and none of them fit him. He said he got up in front of everybody, and he said, he said, when I get up in the morning, he said, I fixed me and my brother breakfast. My mama don't fix it. He said, I don't think she loves me. He said, and I take my little brother to school and we go catch the bus. And, and he, he said, my clothes aren't washed because my mama won't wash them. He said, I don't think she loves me. And he went through this whole spiel of how he felt. And then he said, but I'm so happy. He said, because my little brother got saved tonight. The preacher said they went and dry in the house. Everybody was just gone. And he talked with the list. He couldn't hardly talk plain. But he talked about how happy he was, even though nothing in his life was right. He 
He said just a few weeks later, he said he'd come in. He said, I quit, preacher. He said he had a black eye, bumps and bruises all over him. And he said, my daddy beat me tonight, knocked me all the way down the stairs for coming to church. And he said, I'm going to have to quit. I can't go back. I can't come back. And he said, me and my little brother won't be back because we can't get beat every time we go home from church. And the preacher with such wisdom said, hey, he said, I got a question for you. He said, you know that we can't get in over there. They won't let us in. Nobody will talk to us. He said, why don't you go back and be a missionary for Jesus? He said it excited him so good to think that he was really going to be a missionary for Jesus that he went back. He said that following Wednesday, he brought his alcoholic mother to church. She got saved. Following Sunday, he brought his alcoholic daddy to church. He got saved. Just when we're on the verge, are we going to be quitters? Are we going to be people who slow down? Or are we going to keep pushing the plow to the end? Are we going to stay engaged? What about Joshua? He was 110 year old. He said, I ain't slowing up. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It ain't no time to quit. It ain't no time to back down. You know why? Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Jesus Christ makes the difference. You know, we know, we know what a difference he makes in our lives. This world's been going through hell, literally, for the last two and a half years from every direction. And God has blessed our socks off here. Not just as a church, but I've watched the families in this individually. God, and you know what? The devil, he done lost at Calvary. He lost 2,000 years ago. We have the Nike. We have the victory. It belongs to us because of the cross. Everything was paid for at the cross. All we need to do is appropriate the things of God into our lives. So we've got to stay plugged in, right? We've got to stay engaged. If we don't stay engaged, we'll get tripped up. We'll get discouraged. We'll get beat up. We'll let the world come in on us. We'll get frustrated with them. And we'll get sarcastic and cynical. But there's still people out there that need to know the love of Jesus. He said, he went on to say, he said, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect. And that young boy couldn't talk plain. His clothes didn't fit. He was dirty. Wasn't very old. But he hung in there. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful say. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Paul said, that's how we get dead in Christ and raised to new life. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. Now, there you got it. I know you were sitting there thinking it, right? This endure word is the word you and I have grown to love in the Greek, hupamone. Transliterated, how it sounds out, hupamone. As I've shared with you many times, this word hupomene means to endure, means to be faithful. But the biggest meaning 
of hupomene is, means to be, all those words, patience, faithfulness, and endurance, all make up this word to make it say consistency. Now, I would say this, because this really gives us hope, but it also challenges There's not a person in this building that's listening to me around the world tonight or wherever you're sitting, not anybody that can be perfect. God looked for a perfect one. He found him. His name is Yeshua. We call him Jesus. He's our Lord and Savior. He found the perfect one. He had no sin. But we can all, every one of us, can be consistent. That's what God's after. Consistency. Be consistent in your walk with God. You may fall, but the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but what's he do? He gets up seven times, right? So you may fall, but keep being consistent. I like what the old-timer said, when you fall, fall forward, right? Keep moving in the right direction. Keep going in the right direction. So if we are consistent, we shall reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also, he also will deny us. And then He says, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. He's God. He's the Savior, no matter what. So, we, this is where the world, and half the churches fell into this. They say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't agree with what the Bible says here. The Bible tells us plainly that Jesus and the, and the Word are one and the same. You can't say, I love Jesus, and reject part of the Bible. That's illegal or unlegal, whichever one you want to call it. That you, they're one and the same. So to reject God's Word is to reject Jesus. The Bible says there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Spirit, and the Word. It calls Him the Word. When He comes back in the Revelation, the Bible calls Him the Word. He is the Word. And so heaven and earth will pass away, but God's Word will not. Remind them, He's telling them, He said, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul said, be ready to give a man an answer of the hope that's in you. There's two things going on there. They ought to be able to see it. He said, give them an answer of the hope that you have. Well, when they see us or they interact with us, at some point, they ought to be able to see that hope in us. We shouldn't be downcast and downtrodden like the world. They ought to be able to see that hope in us. And then Paul says, be ready to give them an answer of why you have this kind of hope inside of you, that you have trusted in Jesus Christ. He makes the difference in our life. He's our healer. He's our savior. He's our buckler. He's our shield. He's our deliverer. He's our way maker. He's our resurrector. He's everything. Amen? Amen. Then he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. If you've wor ever worked with me in the last 30 years of ministry, I tell everybody the same thing. I don't care what role you play in the church, you better be filled with the word of God. I don't care if you sit somewhere and just play a flute. Your first priority is to be filled with God's word. That makes the difference in everything. And then he says, uh, he says, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for these will increase to more ungodliness. 
I want you to think about that for a minute. To shun profane, babylos, babylos is the Greek word, profane. And this is a good word. As I learned something when I studied this a little deeper today. Uh, profane means things that have, that have no compatibility, which is affinity. They have no affinity or kinship with God. In other words, they have no compatibility with God. Now, you've probably heard somebody say this. Well, that's not sin. But does it have any compatibility with God? Because could you be spending time better if you were engaged in something that has compatibility with God than doesn't? Does that tend to God or does it edify in some kind of way? Right? I'm not taking a... And I'm telling you, a fishing trip can be as spiritual as anything. If you're going to take your son or somebody and you're going to enjoy God's presence and enjoy fit, that's fine. I preached a revival in the inner city of Cincinnati years ago. And when I was there, the most spiritual thing I'd done that week was fix a little boy's bicycle. He had nobody that cared about him. He'd be out, he'd, six, seven-year-old, be out in the middle of the street at 10 o'clock at night in the, the rough part of Cincinnati. And he tugged on my paint leg one day, and he said, my bicycle's got a flat. <laughs> I said, we're going to Kmart. We got one in before they closed. <laughs> but sometimes we need, to, we need to make sure that we're uh, not caught up in the profane things of the world. Now, I'm not saying things that are simple cannot be, God can't be in, because He is, just like that bicycle. God taught me a lesson. But we need to guard against getting involved in things that have no compatibility with God. And just think about that when you're engaging things of this world. He said it will increase to more ungodliness, right? Paul said evil communications corrupt good manners, right, in Corinthians. So if you hang around the wrong stuff, it will start to tend you in the wrong direction. That's what we grew up hearing from our parents, right? Don't hang around with those people, right? I hate to tell my corny joke, but I'm so tempted to tell it. So my, this guy has a parakeet. He gets out of the cage. He's gone. He comes back on the porch. He's barely dragging on the porch. And uh, his master sees him and says, Where you been? He said, Wrong crowd. Wrong crowd. He'd been out with the crows, and he got shot up because he was running with the crows. He shouldn't have been in the corn running with the crows. But we all heard some form of that corny, maybe not that corny from your parents, that if you get with the wrong crowd, it'll start rubbing off on it. And let's just be real. Are we all, we're all adults in here. We saw that, didn't we? We saw it in our own lives, didn't we? We got with the wrong people. They influenced the wrong way. I mean, I, I don't want to go back there, but I could tell you things about my own life where I was with the wrong people. And so Paul said evil communications corrupt good manners. That's what happened. And so he says you can get caught up in other things. And then he says, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of that sort uh, who have strayed concerning the truth. They moved away from the truth. And I would say this, if you get away from God's Word, which is truth, there's a difference between truth and facts. 
Truth is inalterable because it's a person. It's Jesus. Facts can change, right? It was in the 50s this weekend. It was 95 today, right? Those are both facts. But they can move around and change. Truth never changes. Truth is a person. It's inalterable. So they moved away from the truth. If you move away from the truth, you don't have anywhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go. That's why Paul wrote Hebrews a lot was to say, hey, if you leave Jesus Christ as your means of forgiveness and salvation, there's nowhere else to go. Buddha's still in the ground. Mohammed's still in the ground. Confucius is still in the ground. In fact, Buddha never claimed to be deity. They made him deity 700 years after he's already gone. But all those, it doesn't matter, all of them are still in the ground. There's only one way out of here, through Jesus Christ. There's only one begotten Son. We're all the children of God, but there's only one begotten Son who was created, who was in Mary by the Holy Spirit. And so he says, these guys have strayed from the truth, the saying that the resurrection is already past. And do you know, there is a revival of that right now in, our, in this country. People who are saying revelations already happened, and Paul's addressing it here by the Holy Spirit, of course. He's saying, hey, there are people that are running around telling, he's telling Timothy this. But he also told him in Thessalonica the same thing. He said, I'm writing to you guys that you all, it sounded like they had gotten some kind of information that said it was from Paul, that uh, the Lord had come and they missed it. That'd be a bad letter to get, wouldn't it? I mean, the Lord come back and you didn't go. <laughs> That'd be bad, right? I remember when I was like 10, I come home from school, got off the bus, and that's when you left your doors unlocked, right? I walked in the house, nobody. I didn't think too much about it. Then I looked at the neighbors. We all lived on like four or five acres out in the holler, and the two neighbors, nobody was stirring out there. I still didn't think anything about it. Then I called my grandmother. She was like two two houses down the road. She didn't answer. And I called my uncle and aunt. They didn't answer. And I started thinking, I missed the rapture. The Lord has come. And I missed it. So I was like, I was not feeling good. I was feeling bad. And it was a, the worst day of all. It was raining and dark and cloudy. And the Lord forgot me. But that wasn't true. Somebody finally showed up to the house. But there, there were, or they, we were all sinners and we all got left. <laughs> that would have been bad. Wouldn't it? But there were people promoting this even in Paul's day, and they're doing it again. There's a revival of this kingdom now theology that says basically we're going to straighten this place out and Jesus is going to come back to a good spot. And I'm thinking we're getting way in the hole on this deal if that's what we're supposed to be doing because <laughs> it's going backwards fast. Uh, but, and then I run into a lady, y'all heard me talk about, that said she was getting a glorified body, and you know me. I said, well, which part of you is glorified, you know? I said, tell me. There's all kinds of craziness, but it was going on even then, because the devil can't deal in truth because it exposes him. He's got to be a deceiver and a liar. And so he just takes something of God and distorts it. That's how he does everything. He takes a little bit of truth and distorts it. He twists it to make it sound something that's beneficial to him. In fact, 
I would say this to you, and this, there's not really, there tried to be a little revival this a few years ago, but you don't need to be fooling with things like Ouija boards and stuff like that. That's all witchcraft. You need to stay away from that stuff. But that Ouija board is a play on something the priest did in the Old Testament. The devil took it and distorted it. Same thing I started into this Sunday. That's what he did with music. He's taken music, which was created by God, and the devil has distorted it over the years. And so that's, that's how he... Music is a powerful tool. And the devil knows that better than anybody, except for God. And so he uses music. Know this. People will identify themselves by music in their generations. It's such a powerful... This was not a Christian... The secular writer, I read an article one time. He said, you could tell the difference in America the day the Beatles landed on shore. Because what happened was they started talking about a little bit of lasciviousness just trying to get the door open, right? Things that, that maybe people, you know, squinted a little bit about back then. Now, I mean, if you go to some local high schools, they have to bleep out some of the words when they're playing them for the ball game. And I, everyone I went to, which my children are grown now, but when I went and heard that stuff, I'd go straight to the scores table and say, if you have to bleep it out, nobody... I said, my parents don't need to hear that stuff when I bring them to my son's ball game. But we got so watered down. It's a powerful tool that Satan is using. That's why, so this Ouija board was a mimic of what the priest did in the temple with the Urim and the Thummim that they carried in the house, the high priest, that he would use those stones and they would spell out God's will after he had prayed and done what God had asked him to do, right? So it was a spiritual element, and so the devil just takes everything. Because you got to remember, the devil's not a creator, he's an imitator. That's why he comes by as an angel of light, the Bible says. He, he can appear as an angel of light. So he's a deceiver. That's how he works in our lives. He tries to deceive us and get us crossways so that we back off. And then, let me go back, he says... He said, these guys have left the truth, saying the resurrection's passed already. So a lot of this stuff's going on. It's, it's, there's a revival of some of that now. They, overthrow, they overthrow the faith of some. And he said, they, so what he said here about these guys, they're saying that the resurrection's already come and gone, and he's saying they're veering from the truth. And then he says, uh, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having His seal... The Lord knows those who are His. Everybody say amen to that. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So that means we need to be proactive in our lives. Maybe we have to hold up our hand and say, Hey, I can't listen to that. Maybe you have to turn the channel or, the, or stop the YouTube video because it goes the wrong direction. Or maybe you have to leave the theater because you got surprised you didn't think the movie was going to go in that direction and you had to get up and walk out as a means. You didn't have to criticize anybody else. You didn't have to say anything to anybody else. You just done it as an example. You honor God. And let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. People are watching what we do. They're watching us. They know. He knows they're His. We name His name, the name of Christ, that we should... Depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are, are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master prepared for every good work. So get away from 
the dishonored vessel. Let God move in your life. Surrender to Him. Let Him clean you up and me, and let us be vessels that He can use. Now, that's what we call sanctification, right? When God brings us out and, and does stuff in us to where He can use us. Flee also youthful, youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That's our job. That's our call. We're just supposed to be with people. I'm going to throw this on me. You know God didn't call me to build a church. Jesus said He'd do that. What if we had a building and no people in it? I can't woo people's hearts. All I can do is obey, be obedient, teach the Word, stay with the Word, and not preach my ideas and tell stories all the time, although some stories are applicable at times. But I can't. I got to give you the Word. If you love me, He said, feed my sheep, Peter. That's my role is to be obedient. My role is not to build the body of Christ. The Bible says He adds to the church daily such as should be saved. And we saw eight of those a couple of weeks ago when we got to baptize them in the river. And we're watching God do His part. We get, too, we get all caught up like it's our responsibility to do God's job. It's not our responsibility to do God's job. We really need to be simple-minded people and just get up every day and obey. And watch what He could do if we would just simply obey Him. Amen. I'll amen that one. Might even take up an offering on that. And then he says, Flee also youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, of those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. There's a guy, in my, when I went to college, there's a guy there who was a, a spirit-filled Catholic born-again believer. And I didn't know him very much, but I was just, you know. And I was engaged in this awful battle about religious stuff with this guy in the student center. And he just come gently tapped me on the shoulder and said, won't you come with me? He's the same guy that said, let's go pray. This is before I really knew him, I thought. You was raised Catholic. I was raising the full gospel. Okay, let's go pray. And so we got up. He took me to this high mountain. I'm like, this guy's serious. Where we could overlook the whole city and pray for the whole city and the whole campus. You know what I did? I listened and observed this guy. I mean, he was in with God. I could tell it. But he tapped me on the shoulder and he pulled me aside and he said, won't you come up in my room with me? On the way up to, when we got up in the room, he said, I want to share something with you. He said, what you're doing's not good. Getting in an argument over scriptural stuff there in front of people who may or may not be believers. And I felt about two inches tall, right? But I knew he was right. And I, and I thought, man, you're so spirit-filled and so equipped. And then I saw why, other than the work of the Spirit. I looked on his desk, and he had a stack of index cards that high. They all had scriptures on them. And he just read them over and over and just filled his spirit with God's Word. And he challenged me that night. And my interaction with this spirit-filled Catholic guy was God's ordaining. 
because he did me a little bit like Peter, right? He had to straighten me out a little bit. He said, Peter, go out and help these people. And he said, I ain't helping those people. And the Lord said, whatever I've cleaned, you don't call unclean. We've got to get out of our box. You know who God's looking for? He ain't looking for no Catholics. He ain't looking for no Baptists. He ain't looking for no Pentecostals. He's looking for some people that fall in love with His Son and love His Word and do what He says. That's what He's looking for. And I'm almost done. I need to be done, don't I? He says, avoid these foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. And I saw that. You've seen that, haven't you? Getting a royal battle over Scripture or over something religious. And both of you leave with unforgiveness. That can't be God's will. We just duked it out over His Word and both are mad at each other. And he says, And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. That's where we were all at. Do not forget. You don't have to remember the details, and you need to leave the past, but don't forget that you used to be a sinner. That means we were blind. Doing our own thing. Until the Holy Spirit illuminated us through the Word of God, drew us to Jesus Christ, and there He was, waiting at the altar on us. Isn't that fitting? The groom's waiting at the altar for the bride. And He said, Come here. I'm going to cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. Not going to remember them no more. You're going to be mine. I'm going to give you eternal life. And I'm going to give you life here now. The Bible says nobody has left this anything in this life and not received a hundredfold more in this life and the life to come. Did you grow up as an only child? You're not anymore. You're in a big family. God brings us together with His love and grace. Now next week, we'll get into a little more of the end time stuff because Paul's going to talk a little bit about that. So. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for the time in your word. We thank you most of all for uh, your grace and mercy. <laughs> Woo! Where would we be without that, Lord? You are such a long-suffering God. We give you praise and glory. We're so thankful that you didn't leave us to ourselves, that you reached out to us through the wooing of the Holy Spirit and forgave us of our sins. You brought us into a family, and now you're calling us to follow you and to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and be committed to your word. May that be our lot, in Jesus' name. And everybody say